Is this the new one? Or is that the... Oh. <laughs> this is all about wine. The wine industry since 2009. There we go. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do in this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast. And around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you, thank you, thank you, bus people. Wow. If we're on YouTube or not, that's, uh, I cannot, I don't have a return from them yet, so. Yeah, it's. Hello, uh, Facebook. Yeah, I just got, uh. I just got the YouTube up, so that one's working, and Facebook it was was already working, so yeah, yeah we got the feeds up. God, wait, what a what a nightmare! Yeah, and we're coming up on how many? Fourteen 13, years of doing this. Thirteen years and two weeks, and and we're still still don't have it down yet. Oh my gosh! We'll, we'll yeah. Eventually, yeah. You know, the thing is, it's, it's, it's a lot of technology that we're using now that we weren't using in 2009. So, That's very true. You know, That's very true. Yeah. In 2009, I, I, we, were, we, we were going out to one, you know, product. We were going out to talk shoe or to blog talk radio. Now we're right. going, we, we have no idea. But we uh, don't have, it's you, like all right. the. <laughs> yeah. And, no and you know, I mean, it, let's look at our equipment. I mean, the, the headphones we have now are so much more improved than they were 13 yeah. years ago. And. And, you know, it's just the the whole we we've really progressed over the years. Um, I uh, I was thumbing through the All About Wine Facebook page here, and I do every once mm-hmm. in a while. And uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, I just saw this post here, which I thought was really pretty cute. It says, "This cleaning with alcohol is total bull. Nothing gets done after that first bottle." So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good. All right. Good to that. Wow. No. <laughs> yeah. um, All right. That's good. I, I, uh, I had a bottle of wine, and I can't think of, oh, oh, what was the winery? Two or three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was, uh, I had a bottle of wine on the show, and it was a red. It just said red. And I said, I will find out what this blend is. So I called them. I looked up the name of the winery, and I called them. And I asked the girl who answered, what is the blend in this wine? And she goes, I don't know. And I said, can you find out for me? And she said, okay. She says, what's your phone number? I'll give you a call back. So I gave her the phone number. So I waited. I you know, had things to do, but I didn't leave. I hang around the phone, um, hung around the house, and just waiting because I gave her my landline. Didn't hear from her. Today, 
today she called and said, you want me to find out the blend for this? She said, it's mostly Pinot Noir. I'm sorry, not Pinot Noir. Oh, geez, I can't remember what she just said. Um, but it was on message. It wasn't, I didn't didn't answer direct. And uh, she said, it's, uh, what was it? Maybe it was Pinot Noir, mostly Pinot Noir and uh, some Grenache. She said, and I don't know what else is in there, but I found that out for you. But it took her three weeks. I gave up, and I didn't know if she was ever going to call back. But she did. So hmm. give her credit for at least calling back and telling me I'd forgotten hmm. All about. That. I have another one now. I know what I'm going to be drinking when I drink it. So look forward to that. Today is mulled wine day. So if you have some mulled wine, drink it. Today is mulled wine day. Or you can make your own. A lot of people do. Um, there's lots of recipes for mulled wine. Just go into any search engine, punch in mulled wine, and you will have 33 million different things pop up within. Point zero seven two seconds. So, and uh, you can make any of them. But mold warm wine, basically, what mold wine is. It's just a warm wine. And in the middle of winter like this, I can see why this would be mold wine day. Um, so, we are planning some exciting things for the show in a couple of weeks when we celebrate our thirteenth birthday. So. Tune in, either on archives or live. So many of you tune in archives, which is cool. You know, at least you're listening. Tune in on uh, the 17th, and we'll tell you that's that's right after uh, the table time starts. Uh, Ash Wednesday was yesterday, so we're in Lent season, aren't we? That that's Ash Wednesday. Uh, is Lent and Easter's coming up when? Easter's the 17th of next month, so it's about average middle of April. Uh, I didn't get a chance to tell you last week, so I will tell you today. The month of March is Irish American Heritage Month. It's also National Celery Month, National Flower Month, as in baking, not as in the garden. National Frozen Food Month, National Noodle Month, National Nutrition Month, National Peanut Month, and National Sauce Month. So those are all the the food month things for this month. Also, today is National Soup Day. Tomorrow, National Snack Day, which could be like anything and everything for a snack. Saturday, National Frozen Food Day. Sunday, National Oreo Cookie Day. All right. One, my favorite cookie. Uh, Monday, National Flapjack Day. And Monday is also National Cereal Day. I can possibly see wine with flapjacks, but with cereal, eh, I question the possibilities there. Tuesday, National Oregon Day which is quite a bit to celebrate because they're really quite a wine state up there. So National Oregon Day, Tuesday, Wednesday, National Crab Meat Day, and also National Meatball Day. So a couple of good things, meatballs to have some wine with there, Swedish meatballs. And, and you know, with Swedish meatballs, too, is something 
instead of going just a red wine, go with something like a Gewürztraminer uh, or maybe even a dry reasoning. That would be interesting with a Swedish meatball, I think. And then next Thursday, National Ranch Dressing Day. And not just for salads, it's for all sorts of stuff. You can dip into ranch dressing with just about everything. So that's your foods coming up over the next week that you can pair with wines. And as if you really need a reason to celebrate wine each day, but that will give you an opportunity to do it there. So... Uh, that is what's coming up the next week. I have a couple of follow-up stories to talk to you about today. One said I said I was going to check on to and try to find out some more information. And I did, but I did not, which is sort of a cop-out answer, isn't it? But really the best answer I can come up with. The Here, let me get into it uh cursor to work here oh there it is okay the okay on This one, yeah. Competition in the markets for beer, wine, and spirits. This is from February 2022. Uh, presidential directive, and this is an executive order signed by the president. Goes on for how many pages? This is 64 pages long. That's that's how government executive orders work. He didn't just sit down and say, uh, you know, free free the grapes and then sign it. He's it's got to be all government ease and everything else when they do it. And this is, you know, the introductions by the U.S. Department of Treasury, introduction by U.S. Department of Justice, introduction by the Federal Trade Commission, and introduction by U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And then overview of the three-tier system, and it just goes on and on and on. Like I could say for 64 pages, uh, the thing and it also has the taxation and talks about how the requirements and all that. Basically this executive order was trying to free the grapes. Basically. He was trying to say that well, here's some points here. Let me point out some of them here. Uh it says despite TTB's active enforcement of the FAA's Act competition provisions Complaints about exclusionary behavior by large producers, distributors, and retailers are common. Yes, they are, because they control the market. And it says he wants to stop that discriminatory conduct by distributors. And he said that's also slotting, shelving, and other preferential treatment uh, is still being done despite a ban on such practices. And these are complaints that wineries have, small wineries have all the time. And it goes on to all sorts of different things. I mean, it's just there's lots and lots of stuff that he talks about in this whole thing. And and he signed it into law, which basically said, you need to do something about this uh, alcohol industry because this is not going to work. This is 
a little bit ridiculous here and we need to start opening up more. And everybody's going, yay, this is a good thing because if they open this up more, it's going to possibly let us ship wines across state lines and not be so restrictive in a lot of the shipping. Well, yeah, okay. They, and I mentioned something last week about the the post and hold uh, restraints, which is uh, effectively what they're saying mimics agreements between rivals to fix prices. Uh, for this reason, retailers in a number of states have challenged this post and hold in, in by bringing up the Sherman Act, which basically says you can't fix prices and all. And a lot of states have it. Uh, an amazing number of states have this post and hold policy in that what it does is you post a price and it's good for 30 days or whatever and it has to be held at that for 30 days uh, one state indiana has it for seven some states don't have this post and hold but you know you've got your share of ones that do and because of that it basically locks in a price that can't be broken uh and so they can put it lower and it kills the small retailers, small wineries or uh, spirits or whatever. If you, I'm talking about wineries here, obviously, because it's all about wine. But uh, beer and spirits also go through the same thing. The executive order that the president signed two days after he got in office basically said, you, you can't do this stuff anymore. We need to look at this. We need to take care of this. We need to fix this. We need to do something that's going to be better, that's going to be more beneficial to not only the small wineries, but to the people. And so everybody cheered and clapped and said, all right, that's great, that's wonderful. And then they said, okay, and they threw it back to the states. Oh, my gosh, what was the worst thing they can do, was throwing it back to the states. And so Congress started to Look at this closer. And this is a pretty good article, by the way, here. I mean, I mean, the, the bill that he signed, it really, there's a lot of stuff, if you're interested in it, there's a lot of stuff that goes in there and tells about distribution, tells how much wine and spirits that is proposed on this bill and how much you can make and everything. It's really, I could say, six to four pages, but you don't have to read every page. You can skip over the beer and spirits and read about the wine or whatever part that you might be interested in. And it also talked about mergers and uh, winery mergers and distributor mergers and stuff like that. And he was, uh, the executive order basically said, we want to stop this stuff too because it's making great big distributors and great big wineries. And he said it's starting to hurt the small ones, which it does, you know, when these great big conglomerates get together. And so this whole thing, like I say, six to four pages goes all into that and talks about that. Then, okay, let me see if I can find the page I was looking at about. Uh, yeah, then the competition in the markets for beer, wine, and spirits, and that was the uh, 
the report, the name of the report, and executive order list issued last summer, and it was basically to find ways to reduce company consolidations and improve competition to U.S. consumers, workers, and small businesses. That was the, the basic concept of the whole thing. And over six months, the Treasury received submissions after the executive order, submissions from over 800 consumer groups, industry bodies, and other interested parties telling them, you know, all this stuff is that's been going on, and we need to stop this, and we need to take care of this, and we need to look at this and all that. And the Treasury also wants different tax rates for producers and to reform outdated state and federal regulations, which some of these go back to the end of Prohibition back in 1933. And if they change this, it could allow new people into the wine, spirit, and beer business. And I'm not going to say wine, spirit, and beer every time, simply because I'm talking about wine, but you can add the other two onto it. It's... The reports for everybody. In 1933, the legislation brought in the three-tier system. Now, I have talked about this three-tier system extensively. Uh, I am. I have never hid the fact that I hate it and I the way it's set up and how it works. And when I had the winery, I had the good fortune of owning three licenses: distributor, wholesaler, and retailer, uh, or producer, wholesaler, and retailer, which is unusual because you're not supposed to. But I was able to get all three. But that is the three-tier system. It separates the uh, alcohol industry, the wine business I'll talk about, into three distinct tiers. You have a producer, the ones who make the wine. You have the wholesalers, the ones who take it from the winery into the people who are going to sell it and the retailers who sell it. And it's the three-tier system has created all sorts of headaches all up and down the line. It's just a, a an unbelievable patchwork of rules and regulations where individual states govern their own systems, ranging from being very liberal and letting you ship and bring it in and ship it out and ship it around and do anything you want, which Florida is pretty good about that, I have to say, to where it is absolutely a nightmare to try to do any things. Uh, hello, Alabama and Utah. But it, this is what happens, you know, or what happened in the three-tier system. The new administration is saying, we need to fix this. We need to take care of this. We need to do something about this. And they said, okay, we will. Well, it was... The bill was brought up to the Congress who put together a report and gave it to the president to sign. He hasn't. Now, okay, he hasn't signed it simply because I'm sure his mind is occupied with lots of stuff, not the least of which is what's happening across the pond, but... He hasn't signed it yet, and he wants to be known as a uh, a consumer champion, and he wants to let people know that you know he's he's for the little man out there and all that, which is great and wonderful. And you know, all politics aside, I wish he does change this law because it is way past due, and it's a nonpartisan law which will help 
everybody. But he hasn't signed it yet. I searched and searched and searched through the Internet trying to find somewhere where it said what was going on, if he signed it or if he'd done anything with it. And I have found nothing. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, you know, drop me an email. Let me know if you signed it or if you're going to because, I, you know, we want to know what's going on with this thing. It needs to be done. It needs to be changed. These rules and regulations out there have passed their time. And and so it's it's ready to change. Here's and, and you know it's just uh, the, the three tier system is killing some states and some wineries. Uh, here, one such French one such example is a franchise state such as Georgia, which requires alcohol producers to stay with one distributor indefinitely until the winery or distillery can show good cause to change the arrangement. Oh, my gosh. So if you're with a distributor and for some reason he's not selling your stuff or he's doing something or you want to go to some, you can't to show good cause to change the arrangement. And any good cause is going to have to be taken before probably the courts and you have to prove it there which you're looking at costing a lot of money and a lot of the small wineries or distilleries just don't have the money to fight things like that so the practical effect is that the winery has no recourse if the distributor decides to sell rival products instead of yours you can't do anything again take it to court but then that's going to cost you money so this is something that the new bill can stop this stuff. There's, there's a lot of things going on in this uh, new bill. And I, like I said, I just the executive order was sent to the Congress. I mean, the executive order doesn't really boom take effect. It, it had to be passed by Congress, and then he has to sign the actual actual bill and stuff like this. So, from what I understand, from what I've been reading about this, even though it was an executive order, it still has to take steps to work. So, the president's trying to help. Not just the wine industry, but the spirits and beer industry. And he's doing what he can. And I say more part to him, but he hasn't signed this yet. As far as I can see, this has been floating around for a couple of weeks and nothing has been done yet. So, again, if you've signed it, Mr. President, let me know. Give me a call or contact all about wine email or something let me know that you signed it and that it's going to go forward and we're, we can be happy about some changes along that line and if anybody out there has heard anything i i could not find anything i, I it's unbelievable how something like that just gets lost in the in the fray in the fray if you will excuse me okay uh let's see Oh, last week I was talking about the European Union. I said something that they lurching toward prohibition. I think it was toward the end of the show, and I said I was going to follow up on this and let you know. European Union has, well, had a report presented to 
the council that said that wine was well, uh, issue as reported adapted in December from the Parliament's Special Committee on Beating Cancer. It's called the BECA, B-E-C-A report. That recommends treating alcohol just like you would tobacco. Long term, the report says there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. No safe level. A glass of wine, that's too much. That could cause cancer. And if all makers accepted this, then they would be duty-bound to reduce or eliminate alcohol as much as possible for the people. You know how government tries to take care of us. So for the people. So we are going, wait, you know, how can they do that? They can. <laughs> but I read this article, and I, I found some interesting things here. Uh it would stop advertising on TV. It would stop advertising on billboards. It would stop everything in the European Union related to alcohol. And so, you know, you pick up, well, here you don't see it too much. You have beer advertisements here, but not nearly like they do over in the European Union. Um, so the European Union would stop all that stuff. And this guy who wrote this article, and this is something, is uh, W. Blake Gray. Uh, this is something that I read. Mike, you might be interested in this this paragraph here, too. He says, as a wine journalist, I'm, and this is a quote from the article. He says, as a wine journalist, I'm acutely aware of the subsidized EU money for uh, wine and all that stuff says, you may wonder when you read a story about the great wines a writer tasted uh, in Tuscany or Santorini, how did that writer get there? Much of the time, it's on a press trip partially paid for by the EU to promote its products. Writers, sommeliers, retail wine buyers, and social media influencers get flown over to Europe to taste the wines and enjoy the ambiance. We don't like to admit it, publicly like this and I read this and I went what the heck why has Mike and I never been on a plane to Europe I mean well I was on a I've been to Europe on a plane you you didn't get in well, it was back in the 70s but but that's long before all about wine came in and according to this the EU pays for these flights to get influencers, wow. and I would think we are influencers, and to get influencers over there to taste the wines and talk about the wines and present them to America. I mm -hmm. I feel slighted. I really feel slighted mm -hmm. when I read that. So, <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I you know, but I I saw it and I'm going. Geez, what you know? Thirteen years almost, and we haven't been invited to by the EU to fly to Europe and all you know, the ambiance and everything that goes with it. Hmm. Oh well, but I will have to suffer in silence. Both Mike and I are going to be suffering in silence about this. But by the numbers, and this guy breaks it down here. He says 
if you have a population of 100 wine drinkers and five become alcoholics, then there is a 5% risk that uh, cancer must account for it. Or, I'm sorry, that uh, there's a 5% that an epidemiologist must account for those. Those five alcoholics will cost taxpayers on a continent with public health care systems. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a guessment on that number. It's not anything. It's like saying junk food might be more dangerous than alcohol overall, but the risk of it is harder. You take 100 junk food eaters and say five of them will be directly treated for eating too many potato chips, and you're not concerned. But they're saying five of these could get cancer, and so therefore they're concerned. And that's what the hypothetical thing is all about. But the EU will never know which five of 121-year-olds will become alcoholic. So Becca, the uh, uh, the cancer, is proposing limiting alcohol excess for all 100. Sounds familiar? Do you know a few people, and they all have to pay for it. Excuse me. But they shows that a, a study that was done just last month in the United Kingdom showed that people there who don't drink at all were more likely to get COVID-19 than people who do drink. So I guess you should drink so you won't get COVID. I, you know, and that's the simplicity of the whole thing there, but... It's going before the EU Parliament to vote on this. Now, this came out on February the 12th. On February the 18th, a report from Decanter magazine said, European Parliament rejects health warnings on wine labels. It says, members of the European Parliament are MEPs, member European Parliament, have backed amendments to a range of recommendations put forward by the BECA, but they are not going all in on this. The original report defined any form of alcohol consumption as a risk for a range of cancers and chronic diseases and, uh, you know, including, uh, along with tobacco, poor nutrition, high body mass index, sedentary lifestyle, and environmental pollution, alcohol is right there with it. And it stated that across Europe, an estimated 10% of all cancer cases in men and 3% in women are attributable to alcohol consumption. Well, the members of the European Parliament, MEPs, said no. The European Parliament rejected the theory that there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. They've also rejected the fact that wine, drinking wine is responsible for cancer. Uh, they said that the no safe level was misleading and simplistic as it fails to consider drinking patterns and other lifestyle factors. And so, thankfully, members of the European Parliament agreed to amend this reference. Uh, 
is in line with the 2018 Lawsuit paper findings, which show that the safest level of drinking is none. The Becker, Becker Report's wordings have been amended to the safest level of alcohol consumption is none when it comes to cancer prevention. So concerned about getting cancer, if it's in the family or any of that stuff, then, you know, you might consider it. But overall, they said, no. Three Italian MEPs, and they are all Italian, which you think that might be a little stacked uh, parliament there, uh, Italian wine drinkers. The three Italian MEPs led a campaign for amendments, added, last but not least, we have ensured a more balanced approach with regards to any future restrictions on the sponsorship of sporting events by large alcoholic beverage producers, limiting them to events attended by younger people. Thanks to the support of our amendments by the overwhelming majority of political groups, we will have a European plan against cancer that is not only ambitious, but also capable of taking into account our traditions, culture, and culinary without demonizing any sector. In other words, go ahead and drink your wine, and you're not going to be punished, or you're not going to be scolded, or you're not going to have warning labels on the bottles. And that was something they were concerned about, too, having a warning label similar to the warning labels that are on a pack of cigarettes. They rejected all of that. So I do believe that wiser heads prevailed in that situation. At least I certainly believe they did anyway. So that is what that was all about, and it has stopped now. We don't have to worry about that anymore in the European Union. That could have affected the United States quite a bit. I mean, it could have affected the United States and a lot in the fact that the uh, tourist. Uh, another article I read, uh, to paraphrase, said that during the prohibition in the 1920s, a lot of people traveled to Europe from the United States. Those who could afford it traveled to Europe and did their drinking over there. Uh, the gay Paris life, the gay Paris life that you hear about in the 20s is a lot of responsibility is that falling on the prohibition in the United States. We could not drink here. So therefore, the people who could afford it went to Paris and different European cities to do their drinking. And because of probabilities or possibilities of restrictions on wine and spirits there in the European Union, it would have been a great increase in tourists and drinking here in the States. So it could have helped us tremendously. But again, wiser has prevailed in the whole situation. And so therefore, that chapter is done now until somebody else brings something else up, which it seems to happen all the time. Wine closures. I haven't talked about wine closures in a while. Let's quickly talk about them. There are a plethora of closure options for producers. Some are good, some are bad, some are perfect, some are, well, should be discarded. Here is a quick, easy guide and list to the wine closures. The cork, this is produced from the bark of the Quercus suber, or the cork oak tree. 
primarily in Portugal and Spain, and it is under strict protection, the cork oak tree. I mean strict protection. One tree over its lifespan of 175 years can provide corks for around 4,000 bottles. It's a harvesting event. If you've listened to the show before when I talked about it, they cut off the bark and then they uh, harvest it. The outer bark is the cork. The nutrition lines for the tree go up to the center of the tree, whereas most trees, if you cut a ring around the bark, you can kill the tree because <clears throat> excuse me, because the nutrition lines go up to the bark, and by cutting a ring around it, it doesn't get its nutrition up into the leaves and stuff, and it will kill the tree. Excuse me. So the cork oak nutrition lines go up to the center of the tree, and they can peel off the bark and make cork out of it, and it grows its cork back. So it's good. Oh, my engineer just walked in the door with this evening's wine. What was that wine that they just called back on? I just told you and you said it. Oh, oh, uh, Arch Rival. Arch Rival, there you go. Arch Rival. And they said it was, do you remember what I told you they said? Petit Syrah. Petit Syrah. I, I said Pinot Noir. Petit Syrah, yeah. Petit Syrah. This is Canoe Ridge Vineyards. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Canoe Ridge Vineyards. It's a red blend out of Columbia Valley. 2019 Vinci's. Let me tell you what it says on the back of this. It says, legend has it on their Columbia River journey, Explorer, explorers Lewis and Clark noticed a ridge resembling an overturned canoe, the inspiration for our Canoe Ridge Vineyard name. Reaching beyond our estate vineyard into surrounding regions, our winemaker selects from the best grapes to create Canoe Ridge Columbia our Canoe Ridge Vineyard Columbia Valley wines. Handcrafted at our Walla Walla Winery, these wines offer true varietal character made for everyday enjoyment. This red wine blend brings flavors of silky rich dark chocolate, dark cherry, and toasted marshmallows with a lingering finish. You can contact them at www.canoeridgevineyard.com. Produced and bottled by Canoe Ridge in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, let's see, where's the alcohol on this? Oh, there it is. Almost, almost hidden on the side. Alcohol is. Oh, that can't be right. That looks like it's 18. No, 13. 13.5% alcohol. So, wow. Okay, I need to. Give a sip here. Oh, bear with me. Oh, that's got a nice aroma. It doesn't say what the red blend is. I guess I'm going to have to call them tomorrow, too. Nice legs on it. For those of you out there who are who look for the legs in red wine, this has some nice legs on it. First initial sip was very good, but you should never judge a wine on your first sip. Always on your second and after that. 
Oh, very good. I'm, I'm, yeah, put some more in there so I can drink it in the show. Very good. Uh, yes, I'm getting some, some chocolatey undertones to it, some berries, distinct chocolatey to it, yeah. Yeah, that's unusual. She usually can't. Uh, and uh, some dark berries, stuff like that. It's very good. It's got a good aroma to it, too. It's not overpowering on acid. That's another thing, too. Uh, some winemakers like to bring that acid up. And this one's very well balanced on the acid. It doesn't get you immediately and start giving you heartburn. It's just it's very well balanced. got some good flavors. The chocolate lingers, too. I'm still picking that up. So... Wow, very nice wine. Don't remember how much she took it, so I can't tell you any more about it, but she just took it out of the room. But very nice wine. So cork, renewable, something that you can use over and over. Uh, 91% of the world's top 100, 100 wines from uh, Wine Spectator from last year were all cork uh, bottled. They weren't. Anything else? So 91% of the top 100. Pros, it's a renewable, recyclable preservation method that is effective for both long and short-term aging and increases the perception of high-quality premium wine products. You see a cork in it, you think better of it. Cons, manufacturers have basically eliminated the issue of cork taint. It still happens. With the estimates saying, up to 10%. Wow, that's high. I've always said 3 to 5%, but 10% is high. Over a long period of time, cork can dry out and crumble, and it costs more than other, other options. Technical corks or press corks or lots of names for them, uh, made from bits of real cork and are manufactured to eliminate TCA. Uh, they are basically compressed uh, corks. The material is going to vary depending on what part of the tree and where they get it. If they scrape it, the inconsistencies is usually pretty high. And the cork chain is possibility, and they're not real elastic, and they also transfer oxygen more. So that's, you know, not a good thing for these. But most cork traditionalists will be happy with them, though, because they are corks and they're not screw cap or something. But uh, with a controlled level of oxygen, they are probably just as good as cork in a lot of cases. Um, they do cut down on the ageability of wines. Uh, because it does let in some oxygen. The pros are TCA-free, uh, manufactured for both long-term and short-term cellar aging, and they are available at all sorts of different price points. I used to use these uh, micro-amalgamated corks is really the, you know, it says here. That's really the name of them, and I used to use these, and they were fine. I never had issues with them. They always, but my wines were made to be drank, not made to be aged or anything. And so that was one of the things. The cons for these manufacturing process adds to the carbon footprint. Uh, so you know that's one of the one of the things. Synthetic corks. 
These are made from plastic or plant-based materials and designed to eliminate the risk of cork taint. Uh, it's, uh, uh, let's see, who is it? Walla Walla and Leah Kell, number 41, uses traditional cork closures for all their premium white label wines, while all their heritage black label wines live under the Vivitone's Norma cork, which is what these are, the synthetic which is made from sugarcane and is recyclable. A lot of the synthetic quartz are made from plant-based. In fact, that's what it says. The pros, plant-based, recyclable, biodegradable, and carbon neutral. When they extract, they don't crumble. If they dry out, they're rather inexpensive. I tried to use these, and the problem was I would hand cork my bottles and the hand machine that I corks into the bottles would poke a hole right into the top of the cork. It wouldn't push it down into the bottles. It would just shove it down instead of uh, the two inches that it's supposed to. It only shove it down into it about an inch and it, it would poke a whole big hole in the top of it. And no matter what I tried to do, no matter how I tried to fix it, no matter how I adjust the stuff, I even tried to put pieces of cork over the top of that cork. And when that, when I did that, it worked, except that the piece of cork I put over the top of the cork went into the bottle also, and I couldn't extract it and leave the other one in there. It was just, it was a nightmare trying to use these type of corks. I, The synthetic corks were so much cheaper, and I would have liked to have used them, but yeah, it just it never worked for me. Uh, the pros to this, they're saying uh, they are easy to extract and don't crumble, but compared to inexpensive to other closures, but they really are, uh, they were hard for me to, to get into the bottles. The cons, plastic corks don't biodegrade, and uh, they are perceived as less premium, although you find them in bottles all over now, and I don't think people even think about it being less premium. Uh, it says here, while this technology is improved, synthetic corks don't age as well. So, and they don't. You know, I, I try to use them because it was my wines weren't made to be aged anyway. Screw caps. In 1964, Peter Wall, then head of Australia's Yolumba, requested an alternative after a rash of tainted bottles and eventually a cap dubbed the Stelvin was created and it was immediately labeled a cheap closure <laughs> of course it's a screw cap uh, many vineyards now use it uh, majority of wines and some wineries are nothing but screw cap and they love them i if you grab a wine that has a screw cap there's nothing wrong with the wine i mean it just it, it's now starting to become more of a choice of the winery and the winemaker if they want to use screw cap or if they want to use cork or synthetic or anything. It's it, it's not quality. There are the purists out there that still think that the corks are the only way to go. And, you know, I I lean toward that myself. I, I like to see a cork in a bottle. But if it's not, I don't scoff at it. The... Screw cap is here to stay, and more and more you're finding them on wines. They're not really made for aging. 
although they're doing tests on it to see if they are, one of the tests that they've done says that the screw cap tends to raise the SO2 level. I don't see how, but you know, tests are showing that it does. Under screw cap, you can now be aged long term, they're saying on this. Uh, I, I haven't seen any recent reports. This is a new article here, so I'll have to look up and see if I find any new reports on that. And they're inexpensive, and they can be opened easily. You don't have to worry about stuffing a corkscrew down into it. And you can close it up, stick it back in the refrigerator if you so desire, and it's going to be closed securely. The cons, manufacturing screw caps generate a lot of waste and has a harmful effect on the air and water. They are made from non-biodegradable aluminum lined with plastic. And while they can be recycled, most get trashed. And some even say screw caps can create reductive qualities in the wine. So, you know, it's, again, screw caps are improving, but they're still not not there yet. And then the last one here, glass stoppers. I've never had a wine with a glass stopper. I, I've never never seen one, I have to say. I, I'm sure there's, they're out there, but basically you find them in Europe, uh, especially Germany. Uh, that's more glass stoppers than anywhere, but Germany uh, was where glass stoppers were invented, and so they're, they're used quite a bit there. Uh, again, rare in the United States. Uh, they perform well in tradition, uh, as well as traditional corks. They are good for long-term aging, and uh, it, they're clean. Uh, no cork taint at all, and so it's, it's not a problem with that. Uh, they seal tight, and no reductive odors or anything. It's just a nice, solid seal. They said the cons on this, they confuse the consumers. And I can see that. Someone gets a bottle with a glass top on it, it can be very confusing. And while we're speaking of the top of a bottle, let's talk about capsules a little bit, too. I read an article about capsules, and they said the time of capsules really should be passed. We don't need capsules anymore. It's a, a thing that has past its usefulness. You used to have capsules on wines uh, for the purpose of protecting the cork and all that. And now they're saying that it's just an extra piece of waste. You can't recycle it. Most capsules are PVC uh, shrink capsules. That's what I used to use, uh, PVC shrink capsules. You drop them on there and you heat it and it shrinks around the top. Uh, there are tin capsules and there are uh, paper capsules I have seen out there, but mostly PVC. And like I say, they're not recyclable. There are some places that dip their tops of their bottles in wax, which is a pretty thing, but it's very hands-on. The winery south of us, uh, oh, heck, what's the one? The one that's haunted, they dip their bottles in wax and I think they give you a little bag or a little box or something, and they say, once you've opened all of your bottles and taken off the wax, bring it back to them. And they melt it back down and use it again. 
But capsules are, well, from what the article says, are something that has seen its time and it should be stopped. And, again, the pros on that is that it's a waste. You need to stop them. They don't serve any purpose. But then they do serve a purpose because a lot of counterfeit that's going on with wines now, the capsules are where the chips are hidden underneath the capsule on top of the cork and things like that. And once those chips are disturbed, then shows this counterfeit. So maybe capsules are still good for something like that. And then, you know, the con, they're expensive. They add costs. If you, Capsules range anywhere from six cents up to 40 cents. If you get 10 ones, you're going to spend a little bit more than that, 50, 60 cents a capsule. And if you get them printed, you see these capsules with all sorts of printing on them and all that, those start costing you more. So you can add an extra eight, nine dollars to a case of wine just for the capsules, which that's, you know, you think, oh, well, that's not bad at all. But when you're making 2,000 cases and you're adding $8 a case extra into your cost, that becomes substantial. So if you start seeing bottles without capsules on it, it doesn't mean that they forgot to put it on it. It just means that they are looking at alternatives. Some of them have the cork in there, and then they have a little small plastic-type topping on that cork. I've seen those before, too. Uh, those are pretty cool. And your corkscrew goes right down to the center of that plastic, just like it does the capsule. But the capsule may be something that we're going to see less less of now. Okay, let me... I, I'm going to talk about TV a little bit here, which I never do. I don't think I've ever mentioned anything about TV on this show. But there's some, some new shows coming out, and I just noticed this. There, there are a couple of new shows. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but there's a show on NBC called Grand Crew. It's a uh, bunch of people who like friends, only their hangout instead of the central perk is a wine shop or wine uh, bar. And they are always drinking wine and talking about wine and mentioning wine and all that. And they it was filmed around Atlanta. Uh, I think Atlanta. No, that's not. I... I I take that back. It wasn't filmed around Atlanta. Uh, but Grand Coup is about, it's centered around wine. And then uh, Oprah Winfrey Network, own OWN, has a show called Kings of Napa. And so uh, that's that's another show about wine. And then Promised Land is also another one. It's... Uh, a pilot episode was filmed in and around Atlanta and in the wine-growing regions of northern Georgia. And a lot of the episodes have been shot in southern California at the Aqua Dulce Winery in Santa Clarita and at Mazel Estate Vineyards in Thousand Oaks. And so uh, that's that's the newest one out there. And it's about... 
a family that uh, from uh, Mexico, Mexican-American family, that uh, has a winery. And let's see, where did I see a quick description I was going to tell you about here? Uh, it says, Promised Land introduces viewers to a soapy family wine drama starring the Sandoval, Sandoval family and their Heritage House winery. And basically what it is is a third-generation Cuban-American uh, family that uh, comes to Napa. Oh, I glanced at this, and I should have read it more so I can know. But they, uh, it's family struggles and all that within the family. And... Uh, they, uh, you know, Chardonnay's, uh, uh, you know, they said making sure Chardonnay didn't go into dark green Bordeaux bottles and teaching the actress how to open and pour and swirl and smell and taste and spit and all that stuff. Uh, it's on Hulu. It's streaming now on Hulu. So it's uh, very wine-centric. And uh, they're harvesting grapes and... Uh, <laughs> it says here, the family's harvesting wine grapes in Sonoma in May. I don't think so. You don't harvest in May. You're just getting bud break and starting to get them to go in May. But it's a lot about wine on that. It's a it's a soap, you know. But it's those things are sometimes fun because they really do show a lot of beautiful scenery and a lot of stuff about vineyards and make comments and stuff. So if you're into that stuff, it might be might be worth watching. Uh, that's called Promised Land, and it's streaming on Hulu. Okay. What happens to grapevines when they go dormant? Well, they don't stop. They just cut back. Uh, the pruning process is very, very important. Once they're picked and the grapevines lose their leaves, you go in and you prune all the extra tendons off. You cut the ones that are too long and all that, and you just leave four or five main ones that will grow out and give you your new grapevines. That is done through the winter. That is a very important step. That is a very important step in a vineyard. And a good vineyard person who knows how to prune those properly is indispensable. One that can go out there and know where to do the cuts and everything else. It is He's worth his weight. Uh, without question, he is worth his weight because he can give you a very high-quality vineyard and high-quality grapes and perfect canopy and all that stuff. So that's why people who do pruning are so important. Whenever you hear about the wineries uh, saying we're doing our pruning this time of year, you have to give them a, a lot of credit for being able to do it properly and get the vines to show its full vigor coming the uh, in the spring and throughout the summer. So a very important step. 
And then uh, one more thing I want to talk about uh, before we go tonight uh, is, let me get to it. Oh, there's two things. Pahrump Valley Winery. They are located east of Reno, Nevada. Uh, beautiful place. They've made some great wines. Pahrump Valley Winery has filed for bankruptcy. Oh, yeah, it's you know I I like Trump. I had some great wines. I had a great story about, uh, but Trump is falling from bankruptcy. Uh, they are, like I say, located just at the foot of Trump Mountain in Trump Valley, and they owe they say more than a million dollars, and they also owe back taxes. So they are falling for bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, that's sad because they, it's, it's a good winery. They have a lot of cool wines. They, have a, they had a great wine. I think I've mentioned the story of the Prump wine that I got. And it, it just, it's just too bad. It says, uh, let's see, what is the date of this? This is dated, uh, where's the date? Uh, last week. So, under Chapter 11 Bankruptcy Protection, and which will permit them to reorganize the debt and restructure and possibly reopen and pursue a sale or closure of the winery and the facilities, which is really sad, which is really sad. Well, let me let me tell you the story, my prompt story, uh, when I had the winery, I was trying to get wines from every state in the nation, and I did. I I had on the shelf above, uh, behind the counter, I had the shelf all around, a wine from all 50 states, and yes, Alaska and Hawaii were in there. I, people would come in, and i say, bring me a wine from a another state. Bring me a wine from another state. If you're going to go on a vacation to here or there, bring me a wine. And people would bring me a wine, and I'd give them a wine as a present for bringing me one in. And some of them were fantastic. Some of them were phenomenal. Some of them weren't so. But overall, there was a lot of good wines, and I had all 50 states. Well, somebody brought me in a wine from Nevada, and it was Pahrump. It was a Pahrump Zimbando. Was it? Yes, a Pahrump Zimbando. And I uh, used to take the wines and share them in the class. I I would teach a class uh, once or twice a month, depending on how many students I got. And one of the things I would do is teach them the scoring system, and then I would brown bag a wine, and then we would score it. And I would use the wines I'd get from different states to brown bag it because I never had them, they never had them, and so I would do that. Well, one class I had, I got out that Trump Zimbabwe, and I poured it for them. And there was, I don't know, there was like 12, 15 people in this class. And these were not experienced wine tasters. These weren't judges or anything. These were just people who enjoyed wine and wanted to find out a little bit more about so they took the class. They 
bragged about this wine. They scored it unbelievably high, which most of the time people don't. And it was dry, and people usually like sweet wines to give them high scores. But they give these wines, you know, like you know, the low 90s, upper 80s on on scores, which is very unusual for a dry wine for for people in the class. I tasted it, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And I usually tell people here, go ahead and finish up the wine. Well, this one I didn't. I was still about a glass left, and I immediately put it behind the counter so I can finish it when they left. It was it was delicious, absolutely wonderful. So uh, about oh, a week later, uh, I wrote Trump, uh, Perump, and I said I had what I did is I well. Let me back up. Let me back up a little bit here on that story. The one that the people gave me, the one that the customers gave me from Perump, was sitting on the back of the stove, and somebody pulled out the stove, and it fell down and broke and shattered. I wrote an email to Perump, and I said, I told him what happened and what I was getting wine from all the states, and I said, I will be happy to send you one of my key lime and one of my orange wines in exchange for one of your wines so I can have one from from Nevada. And so they sent me to Zinvidale, and I sent them those two wines. Well, it, the one they sent me was phenomenal. So I wrote them, and I said, that is such a great wine. That was so fantastic. Everybody enjoyed it. I just loved it. Thank you so much for sending it to me. And they wrote back, emailed me back, and said, you know, we sat on the back porch of the winery looking to the sunset to the west over the Perump Mountain, enjoying a cold glass of your orange one night and a cold glass of the key lime the next night, which, you know, was mutual admiration between the two wineries, and, and it was nice to hear that. Story doesn't end there, though. About three, four weeks later, People were in. I was telling people, I want you to bring me wineries from different states. I haven't gotten all the states. And uh, one guy says, well, I travel out west all the time. What do you need from the west? And I told him uh, there was a couple of states I didn't have. And he says, how about Nevada? He says, I always go to a little winery out there east of Reno called Pahrump. And I said, yeah, I, I've got a wine from Pahrump. I said, it, it was great. He says, yeah. He says, I was out there a month ago. And he said they have a, a wine that they wouldn't let you taste. You had to had to buy it, he said, because it was a limited edition. They wouldn't let you taste it. He said, but I just couldn't see paying $95 for a bottle of wine I've never tasted. And I go, what was it? And he said, it was their first bottling Zumendol. I went, oh, my gosh. And I pulled the bottle down, and it was that one. Uh and I, I kept the bottles after I drank them. And he goes, that's it. I said, $95? And he goes, yeah, that's what they were charging for that. And I told him, I said, well, I'll tell you what, this is well worth it. This was a phenomenal wine. He goes, well, then I'll take your word for it. I'll buy another one when I'm out there. But $95, no wonder it was so good. And th to see that they're closing down, that's really, really sad. I, I might drop them an email and express my sympathies to them. Let them know that I closed down too. I, you know, and the the pandemic probably had a lot to do with it too. I do not doubt that the pandemic had a lot because they were east of 
of uh, Reno, and it had to be a trip out there. It's not something you would just happen to say, oh, there's Pahrump, let's stop by. You know, so I'm sure the pandemic had something to do with it. But Pahrump story, so I'm going to have to get a hold of them and send, send them an email and uh, give them... Give him my thoughts. So, and next week I'm going to give you a little tease for next week too. Next week we are going to talk about box wine. Where is it? Uh, here, box wine that is selling for ninety-five dollars. Yes, yes, ninety-five dollars. Uh, so I'll tell you about that and why they felt justified in selling it for $95. And then in two weeks, we'll be back with our anniversary show. So there we go. There we go. Thank you, bus people. Uh, <laughs> A little delayed. No. Yeah, they they well they had the glass in their hand. I had to put the glass down to to clap. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, well, good. So, uh yeah, stay tuned for a show next week on uh, February February March February. the 10th and and uh mark your calendars for March the 17th when we have our anniversary special which uh, celebrates 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I need to take my shoes and socks off. Ten, 13, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. 13, 13 years um, doing the, the show. So, uh, yeah, tune in on the 17th for that. Tune in next week. Talk about the, the box wine. Sells for $95. I did pull up executive order, uh, what is it, number 14036, promoting competition in the American economy. Um, that was presented by uh, the President Biden on Friday, July 9th of uh, last year. And there is a timeline that goes through the whole lengthy, boring, unbelievably long uh, everything uh, process that goes for 365 days at least is what I'm showing on here. So, wow. Um, Everybody is, in, is, is involved. <clears throat> is it in the executive order of 14036? What is it? That, that's oh. where you found that? Okay. Yeah, yeah I've got executive uh, order have... 14036 here. You know, I haven't read the whole thing. It's just, you know, yeah. I, I fell asleep I got... three times trying to read it, so I quit. Yeah, yeah I was on the, uh, the whitehouse.gov. A site that lists all the legalese and all that garbage. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Apparently, it includes uh, 72 initiatives by more than a dozen federal agencies to address uh, competition issues across the economy, and it affects everybody. Um, yeah. The U.S. Department of Transportation is involved. The FDA, uh, DOT has a bunch in there. Uh, the Treasury Department, the Department of Justice, USDA, blah blah blah. I know, I know. Yeah. It goes on but, uh, and on and on. Everybody is affected by it. Every oh, department, every yeah. governmental department that you can that's think why, of yeah. is that's part of this. So yeah. yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But it's supposed to, the timeline shows all the little steps and who's getting involved and 
what they're submitting a report about and all that stuff. And it goes at least until July 9th of this year. Um, and that's, that's as far as the timeline goes. Um, but, um, yeah, I can I'll send a, have to send you a link on that. I guess I don't know if you have that. Uh, the grand yeah. crew was in Los Angeles. Um, oh, that, okay. uh, that TV series. Yeah. I looked that up. Uh, that was in Los Angeles and, um, I think that's it so far. I think that's all I have. So uh, yeah. just a couple of Forbidden Land is Hulu. It's, it's streaming now. I I haven't watched an episode, but anybody has Hulu, you can check that out too. It, it's, it's a soap opera. It's just like, what was the other one a few years ago that was centered? Oh, Falcon Crest. Falcon Crest. Oh. Remember that? Wow. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that long was time. centered. Yeah. A long time ago. That was centered around a winery also. You know, I think hmm. this one's along the same line. If the children want to take over for the dad or want to take it from the dad, or I don't know what it is. I, I, I read something there, and I said, oh, i got to pass this on because some people, you know. And whenever they do shows mm-hmm. about wineries, they, they usually do throw in some things that are interesting. If you can get past hmm. the uh, the other stuff, you know. Yeah. So. Um. All right. Well, we will see everybody uh, next Thursday, the 10th of March at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on Blog Talk Radio, uh, our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Have a great weekend and enjoy uh, enjoy your wine. Also, uh, March, don't forget, is Washington Wine Month. It's all month That's long. Right. And That's right. Apparently, you don't have to be a... You don't have to be in Washington to enjoy that. So enjoy it anyway. Enjoy Washington wines. You know, you can just say this is in honor of. You know, enjoy some Washington wines. Good point. Absolute point. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being safe. See you next week. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Juan. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwine.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine. That's it. Bye. Yeah, I think they're done. Uh, are they? Go live. Yeah. yeah. Cancel. Okay. Green room. Green room. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.